Flip that worship guide over. I had a worship guide. There it is. Flip it over on the back side. You can take some notes here. Let's get right into it because of time purposes. The first thing that you need to write down, the first thing in your notes is Jesus is still alive. So, so I, I, just felt like, I just felt like you need to write it down just so you can remember that Jesus is still alive. Somebody say, he's still alive. Oh, yeah, Jesus is still alive. So now I want to show you something. This is shocking, but we are in part 18 of this series. Can you believe that? The biggest series, longest series I've ever preached was probably six or seven weeks, maybe eight weeks, but we're in part 18. So I'm asking, when is this thing going to end? I don't know. I have no, because there's never been a series that's unified us and got us to the place that we're at like this series. But as Sandy said, we've been building towards this. I got a feeling we may go the rest of the year uh, uh, in this is us. Somebody shout, this is us. I said, somebody shout, this is us. If you got your Bibles, I want to read something to you in Acts chapter 1. Oh, by the way, this is the Sunday after Easter. So we're right in the middle of if you wanted to celebrate. Nope, there's no holiday for this. Nobody celebrates this. But you got to understand, there was a lot of stuff going on in Jerusalem at this time, the week after the resurrection. I'm going to show you today, I'm going to talk about some stuff that was going on. On the surface, after the resurrection, and still going on today. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says this. The former account that I made, O Theophilus, of course, this is a continuation of the book of Luke, because Luke is the, is the author of the book of Acts. It was one long letter. The book of Luke and the book of Acts was one letter, and, and the, the translators split it up to make it easier for us to, to read uh, the history. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both do and teach, watch this, until the day in which he was taken up, after through the Holy Spirit, watch this, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive, somebody say he's alive, after his suffering and his death. By many infallible proofs, being seen by them for 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining of God, to the kingdom of God. Can I tell you something? For 40 days. Is it not crazy that we don't talk about that? Is it not crazy that preachers don't preach about that? That they don't talk about we, the amazing resurrection story. My God takes precedent over everything. The resurrection and the death of Christ and the birth of Christ, top three, no doubt. Come on, somebody. But right underneath that is that Jesus didn't come back from the dead and say, look, I told y'all, I'll see you later. He walked around in a resurrected, glorified body for 40 days. Are y'all alive? Why did he do this? The next thing on your notes is this. It was important to Jesus to prove, everybody say prove, to prove his resurrection after the third day. You got to understand something. There was no social media back then. You got to understand something. There was no worldwide television that could live stream the event. The only ones that knew he was alive was the ones that were privileged to see him on the third day. 
And how many knows that if he only showed himself to Mary Magdalene, his earthly mother, and the disciples, and that was it, and, that, and then he went on to be with the Lord, how many knows everybody else would say, well, of course you're going to say that he's alive. You're the one that stole his body. Am I preaching good? So he made sure that Roman soldiers saw him. He made sure that workers and carpenters saw him. He made sure that people of every occupation saw him. He made sure that he walked almost every street. He went out of outside of the, of the known street and showed himself. He just took, the Bible talks about, I ain't got time to preach all this. The Bible talks about him going down a road called the road to Emmaus. And, and he's just walking. These two guys are talking. And these, what, there's this. It's not amazing. It's not in my notes. But, but they're just talking about the events of Jesus. What just happens to Jesus? Jesus walks up beside him. This is in your Bible. Read your Bible. Look at somebody say, read your Bible. Some good stuff in there. He's just walking along with them. He says, hey, what y'all talking about? Oh, have you not heard? And Jesus said, well, heard about what? This is in your Bible. Heard about what? Have you not heard how Jesus was crucified and murdered on the cross and all this? Oh, Really? Tell me more. So he keeps, he keeps talking to them and listening to them. And then, he, then the Bible says, then he starts breaking down and explaining the messianic prophecies. And starts, because how many of those nobody knows the word like the word. And the word just, they still ain't got a clue who he, who he was. And they, he's, about, he's about to head on. And they said, don't go yet. We're about to eat. Come eat with us. How cool is this that Jesus has just died on the cross, just did something that's never been done and never before, never will be done again, just came back from the dead. And he's taken time out of his busy schedule, resurrected schedule, knowing he's got to go to heaven and says, okay, I'll eat dinner with y'all. So he goes in the house and he's sitting there and he's eating with these two guys and their family. And all of a sudden as they're talking, the Bible said their hearts begin to burn within them. And then Jesus just disappeared. They looked at each other and they said, we didn't even realize who we were talking. But I know one thing. Do you agree with me? As we were walking, the more he talked, the more I felt a fire shut up in my bone. How cool is that that Jesus took the time during those 40 days to spend with just two guys walking down the road talking about him. I believe one of the main reasons that, that, that 40 days happened, somebody say 40 days. 40 days. It's significant that he did 40 days. I want to tell you why I believe one, a couple of things about why it was 40 days. Because when Jesus began his ministry, he began his ministry by fat, fasting and praying and fighting the devil for 40 days. So he began his ministry with a 40-day revelation of who he was in the Messiah, in the coming. He ended his time on this earth in 40 days of revealing himself as the resurrected Messiah. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. God doesn't do anything by chance. I'm going to say it again. He fought the devil for 40 days at the beginning. And the devil's all, all, you know, big mouth. Come on. He's just real cocky. Remember, he, he's just like, hey, you know, uh, if, if you'll, I'll give you all these kingdoms. This is the devil talking to Jesus. I'll give you all these kingdoms if you'll just bow down and worship me. Huh? He's talking big and bad. But I want to ask you a question for those that actually read your Bible. 
During the 40 days that Jesus showed himself by many infallible proofs, do we hear the devil saying anything? He shut up, didn't he? We didn't hear nothing, did we? He was nowhere to be found. He, listen, Jesus walked around for 40 days saying, I'm here for the same amount. Where are you at now, big boy? Where are you at now? What's your, come on, talk big now. Uh-huh. Where are you at? There's no record of the devil showing up anywhere saying anything during them 40 days. Am I preaching good? See, that scripture that we just read in Luke, it talked about that Jesus presented himself by many infallible proofs. What does infallible mean? It means without mistake and in dispute. Without dispute. In other words, he let him. Remember he told Thomas, you don't believe me? Touch the, touch the scars. Touch Messiah. I don't believe he just did that to Thomas. Anybody that needed to know it was really him, he said, come on. Come here. Come here. Touch me. See that it's me. He needed them to know. But you know, the Bible says in Matthew 27, at the death of Christ, I'm going to show you something powerful. Y'all ready? It's 1128. Are you still alive? Did you drink your coffee this morning? Did you have a biscuit or something? Well, that's not on me. That's on you if you didn't have your biscuit. Matthew 27, 51, this is at the death of Christ. I'm going to show you how this thing built. I want to show you how God did something amazing during those three days, the 40 days, and then seven more days. What's this? Matthew 27, 51 says, when Jesus died, that behold, the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, you got to understand the veil in the temple was much higher than that veil. How many of those, there's no one in here has the ability to reach up and take a knife and start, start tearing that from the top? Now, you could start tearing it from the bottom. How many of those, God's word doesn't make mistakes and everything is intentional? It's very intentional that the Word of God says that the veil was ripped from top to bottom. If it would have said the veil was just ripped, they would have said, well, if anybody could rip the veil, start to rip and grab on both sides. But the only way the veil could be ripped from top to bottom is for somebody to rip it who had access to reach down. Are y'all hearing me? They ain't but one, because back then they didn't have electric lifts, and they didn't have drones and all that. So the only one that was above the temple was God. When God saw Jesus say, it is finished, and he bowed his head, God the Father reached down and took the veil and just ripped it in two from top to bottom, saying there ain't no more need for this. You know what Jewish historians say? Jewish historians say that during that time, the priest stitched it back together. Watch this. Many say they tried to stitch it back together so that they could go on business as usual. Trying to hide what happened. Nothing to see here, y'all. Veil's still there. Well, why does it look crooked? Why does it have all kinds of rope going around there? What happened to it? Oh, don't worry about that. You still got to come to me, the priest. Am I preaching good? Oh, but this is what we look over. And it shocks me that preachers are scared. I said it, scared to preach it. I ain't scared. Then behold, the veil of the temple, Matthew 27, 51, was torn in two 
from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks split. Are you hearing me? That was a big deal, man. Big earthquake. Make no mistake about it. That was huge. Now watch this. The next thing on your notes is this. When Jesus died, the need for a man to stand between us and God was removed. That was why the veil was torn. You don't believe that? Watch what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.5. There is but one God and one mediator or go-between between God and man. It is the man, Christ Jesus. You Listen, you, can't, you could do it. You could come to me and, and with your sin, and you could ask me to go behind the veil and take them to God. But how useless would that be? That's why he ripped the veil. That's why he was trying to tell us, man, you ain't got to go do that anymore. You got a new priest. You got a better covenant based on better promises. Oh, I'm preaching good. See, one of the main reasons that Jesus suffered and died for all of us is to know that we now have access to God himself directly. See, before you needed someone, uh, before that veil was ripped, you needed someone to take your sins to God. That was the high priest. That was the priest, the Levitical order. But watch what Hebrews chapter 4 says, verse 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, this is deep, man. Are y'all having fun? Watch this. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Oh, and if there was any mistake about it, it goes on to tell you who it is. Jesus, the Son of God. So therefore, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Do you understand the priest, the the Aaronic priesthood and the Levitical priesthood? They did not know how the common man suffered. They had never been beaten. They had never been turned away. They, they lived in the temple. Are you hearing me? But our priest was not like Caiaphas, was not like Annas, was not like all the other priests who sat up on a throne adorned in jewelry. Our priest suffered. Our priest lived in the ghetto. Come on, you hear me? Was raised in the ghetto. In the ghetto. And his mama cried. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Lived in the ghetto. Our priest was beaten 39 stripes on his back for our healing. Our priest had nails driven through his hands. Our priest had nails driven through his feet. Our priest had a spear stuck in his side and blood and water flowed. Our priest wore a crown of thorns. Our priest was beaten beyond recognition. And, but then he still said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Oh my God, I could preach today for two hours. But was in all points, look at this, verse 15, tempted as we are, yet without sin. You with me, church? You better get ready for this next one. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in help in time of need. Because of what Jesus did, There is no reason for you to fear retribution if you come humbly before God with a repentant heart. God said, I want you to come. 
See, some of y'all thought that the, the, the roof would cave in if you came here. Some of y'all thought lightning bolts would strike everybody in the house dead or, or pestilence would be released to punish us to be fellowshipping with someone as bad as you. But I got news for you, you ain't as big and bad as you think you are. Some of y'all think, well, oh, y'all ain't done what I... Let me tell you something. You sitting next to people right now in this church that was a lifelong crack ahead, lifelong addicted to pornography. You sitting next to marriages that were almost over because one of them was in an adulterous affair, but God healed the marriage. God set the person free from drugs. God set them free. I'm telling you what, you got people that came out of, that was in prison for years and came out of prison uh, or still on the books as a convict, but you'd never know it in their praise because they got more freedom than you do. Somebody say, I got a high priest. He ain't high like people get high now. He's high and lifted up. How many of Jesus said, if, I'm, if you lift me high and lifted up, I'll draw them in into me. I got to preach, y'all. Our high priest died for us. No greater love has any man than a man to lay down his life for his friend. I got to hurry. Now, watch this something very powerful. Our priest, somebody say, my priest. Let me tell you something about your priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Watch what he did. Hebrews chapter 9 is, is just mind-boggling. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 11 says this, But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. Come on. Another scripture said a builder whose builder and maker was God. That is not of this creation. Look at verse 12. This is the powerful one. Not with the blood of bulls and, and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Now, do you think it's talking about the temple in Jerusalem? Why would he show up in the temple of Jerusalem when he just tore the whole thing down? He said it served its purpose, but that, listen, you got to get your eyes off of that building. No, you're not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost now. So what temple was it? Mm -hmm. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifer sprinkling the unclean, the sanctifies and purifies the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself once without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. By means of death for the redemption of the transgression of the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. In other words, the napkin is still folded. He is not through. Come on, somebody. So what happened? Just before the, the napkin was discovered. We preached last week what happened before the napkin was folded. I want to tell you in the next 20 minutes what happened before the napkin was discovered. Remember who discovered it first? It was Peter. Mary didn't go in. She ran and told them. Peter and John ran. And remember, John bragged on himself that he was fast. And they outran Peter and he stuck his head in there and saw the grave clothes. But he didn't go far enough in. 
But Peter went in, the Bible records it specifically and says, he saw the grave clothes and the napkin setting aside by itself. And then the Bible says, and John looked in and he believed. Are you hearing me? So what happened before Peter and John ever ran to the temple, I mean to the tomb, to discover the folded napkin? I'm so thankful that John makes sure that we know. John chapter 20, verse 11 through 18. We'll put it on the screen for you. John 20, 11, 18. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. As she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. She didn't go all the way in. She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. They said to the woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Hmm. I, for the life of me, I can't understand why, why people believe, preachers believe, men believe that God doesn't use women to carry the gospel. Do you think God made that made a mistake and, and, and just accidentally bumped in or saw Mary when it was really supposed to have been Peter? God knows exactly what he's doing. The first woman to ever carry the message of the risen Savior, first person, was a woman. Mm-hmm. Some, some of y'all so bound up the whole thing that Pastor Sandy set up here and said, oh, then that's, that's some good speaking. That's some good speaking right there. She's a great speaker. I was preaching, y'all. Huh? <laughs> she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Watch this. And did not know that it was Jesus. We're talking about Mary Magdalene here. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, she supposed him to be the gardener and said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. She's looking at Jesus saying, hey, man, if you stole him, can you just tell me where he's at? I won't tell nobody. I just want to go get him and take care of him. She's saying this to Jesus. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabbi, or Rabbi, which is to say teacher. How many knows when Jesus calls your name? Oh, there's just something about it. Because he had a way of saying Mary. But I want to show you just a moment real quick why this all happened. Jesus said to her, this is very important, do not cling to me, do not touch me. That word cling means touch. Do not even touch me. For I have not yet ascended to my father. But go and tell my brother. Now watch this. Not that I'm alive and I'm coming through the wall. I'm going to see him in a minute. They ain't got to open the door for me. Because that's what happened. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Oh, my Lord. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord 
and that he had spoken these things to her. Now you got to understand something. Our high priest, we just read it, entered into the holy place once with his own blood. That's what Hebrew said. So what the reason she did not identify him is because he was dressed in a way that no one had ever dreamed Jesus would ever dress. Because Jesus was just a dude from Nazareth in their eyes. He wore the clothes of the common man. He was dressed in white linen, a white ephod. He had, the, he had all the things about him, how he had designed the priestly garb for Passover time for the high priest. No one expected Jesus to come out. That's why he left those clothes in the, in the, in the, in the grave. Huh? He didn't walk out in the, in the grave clothes. Huh? See, Lazarus, the difference between him and Lazarus, Lazarus hopped out and he's still in his grave clothes. And Jesus had to say, loose that man and let him go. Nobody had to take the clothes off of Jesus. Jesus left him in there because he put on the priest guard. Come on, somebody. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. And the, the Levitical law said the high priest at the time of Passover, when they would take the blood of the lamb into the ark, into the holy of holies in the temple, could not be touched by anyone, even his own wife and children. If anyone touched him, he would be tainted and would not be worthy to go in. And that's why he would be struck dead by the glory of God. So he said, listen, remember he, he, remember he said, I did not come to destroy the law, but to what? Fulfill the law. He said, everything I told them to do was right, but it was all types and shadows of what I was going to, who I was going to be and what I was going to do. So what they didn't realize when I told them in the Levitical law to not touch the priest, it was a preparation, all of them, for the moment of my purification because I'm the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Are y'all hearing me preach? So therefore, it was all building towards me. So, he's, so we preached that Jesus ascended at the end of those 40 days. He did. But I'm telling you, the Bible tells us that there was two ascensions. I'm telling you that before he ever walked in the room and revealed himself to the disciples, before he ever met Thomas, before all the 40 days began, Jesus came out of that tomb with his own blood, ascended to the Father, went into the holy temple that the Bible clearly says exists in heaven, because everything that's down here is built at scale model to what's in heaven. So he goes into the Holy of Holies. There is the Ark of the Covenant next to the throne of God. He takes his spotless blood. He pours it on the altar. He gets the blessings of the Father. He comes back down, and watch how everything changes. He goes from, do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended my Father. He's very clear to say, go tell my disciples that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Huh? He walks in the room. He says, what's up, guys? He starts hanging out with them, eating fish with them. Come here and touch me. Come here, boy. It's me. Y'all hear me? Is this good preaching? Are y'all glad y'all came to church the week after Easter? Now, oh, that was my introduction. Now I'm going to preach. Jesus came back and he spent 40 days for many reasons, but I believe this is one of the main reasons. He had provided salvation he has he had provided healing 
He had provided everything we would ever need. But one thing had not been established yet. Everything else had been established by him for far as eternity. You with me? But one thing that was a part of the grand plan had not been established. And that was a biggie. Because this one was going to be the one that carried all of that forward. It's called the church. Do you understand you're in church right now? Don't give me this. I know what the Bible says. You're the church and blah, blah, blah. I know that. But that's such a cop-out now that people use. Well, I don't need to go to the church. I am the church. Yeah, but what are you doing as the church? Nothing. You're going to the lake today. I mean, I mean, you're on the golf course today. Be in the church. I'm not trying to be judgmental, but you know, every once in a while, I'll go be the church at the golf course, but God don't need you to be the church at the golf course every Sunday, especially because you don't even talk about Jesus when you're there. Huh? You need to gather. Forsake not the assembling of the selves, or yourselves together, even the more so as you see that day approaching. We need to be together. And he knew that because this is not man's invention. Man did not invent the church. You know, people can say that, that man invented the church. It's the same people that believe that man invented the story of Jesus. If you believe that Jesus was real and is real, if you believe the word of God is real, then you got to know that man did not establish the church. Jesus did. It was his idea. So, the Bible tells us about something that happened during those 40 days that most preachers have never preached on. They're scared to preach on it. And I don't know why. But I ain't scared. The next thing on your notes is this. The resurrection was so powerful that it brought others back from the dead as well. We know Jesus got up. But Jesus wasn't the only ones that got up. He's the main one, only one we really need to care about, only one that's named. But watch this, Matthew 27, verse 51 says, now watch, watch the pattern here. This is the same verse that we just talked about at the, at the crucifixion of Christ, when the veil was ripped and the earth shook and the rocks broke. Remember that scripture? Let's read the, the next one. Let's go back and read that one first. Then behold, the veil in the temple was torn. This is at the crucifixion was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. And the graves were open. Now watch this. And many bodies of the saints had fallen asleep and were raised, and coming out of the graves after his resurrection. They went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Some of y'all have heard this before, but some of y'all hadn't heard what I'm about to say. The graves were open at the crucifixion. Watch this. The graves were open at that quake. Can you imagine? The freak out that was happening. Not only was the sun go black, you know, some people, you know, it's Passover time, you know, most people's at the temple, but some people might have been thinking about loved ones and was there at at the tomb and might be placing some flowers there and all of a sudden, it was a preview of what was coming. 
In other words, the stones that sealed the graves of the Old Testament saints busted open. It was almost like God was trying to help everybody there. Listen, this ain't nothing compared to what's coming, but I'm just trying to get your heads together so you can realize that if one man died on a cross, can bust tombs open everywhere. Now, wait a minute. I'm trying to get deep on y'all here, but I'm trying to make it simple. It, it sort of implies it doesn't really say when they came back from the dead. I tend to believe they wouldn't have come back from the dead, but, or, or not come back from the dead. I'm going to explain that in just a minute. That their bodies would have, would, didn't walk out until after the resurrection. clearly says that. It almost implies the tombs were empty and the smell of death mm, probably filled the whole, all the outside of Jerusalem because nobodies are buried inside of Jerusalem. Are y'all with me? The graves of the Old Testament saints were opened, their bodies, their bodies came back to life. And during those 40 days, they were seen after the resurrection and talked to people, the Bible said, went into the holy city and appeared to many, went into Jerusalem, probably walked up on some people, and some people were like, well, I don't know about all this Jesus stuff because I don't think that's the way Moses meant it. I don't know this to be the case. This is just gospel according to Larry. But it could be that Moses went up and said, oh, really? (laughs) Could have been. They're not named. It could have been just some random guy in the Old Testament that came. But i gotta, I got to believe that some of the pretty key people came back. Because why would God do this? It wasn't just the power of God, of the power of the resurrection, so powerful that just dead people came back. God, next thing on your notes, Jesus never wastes a moment. Jesus never wasted a moment. So there's no way that I believe that Jesus would have shared the 40 days talking about his resurrection with resurrected Old Testament saints unless he had an agenda. Am I preaching right? I believe, this is just my opinion, there's no scripture reference for this. I believe he used those Old Testament saints to try to preview to those people as quickly as possible during those 40 days of his new idea called the church. That he would then use people to tell others of the resurrection of Christ. Are you hearing me? I got news for you. I believe wholeheartedly this. Those people were not walking around talking about themselves. Those people, whoever they were, were selected by God to walk around and talk about Jesus. So Jesus, even though he was in glorified body, if you read it, even though he walked through walls and all this, and, and the earthly limitations could not limitate his body, uh, li- limit his body at all, and he translated different places and all this in the spirit realm, he was still operated here on this earth in a, in a, in a uh, central location. If he was in the house 
Even though God's all-knowing, if the glorified body of Jesus was in the house talking to the disciples, he was not in the streets talking to people in the street. So therefore, these people in the city were going around saying, I need to tell you some, some very important things. I don't know if they revealed themselves for who they were or not, but they knew the prophecies. That's why they were in Abraham's bosom. That's why they were chosen to come forth. They knew what Jesus fulfilled. So they told people about Jesus. They didn't put it all on Jesus to tell everybody about Jesus. See, Jesus knew what he was building. That's why I would tell his disciples, listen, I need you to get this. I know you're amazed by what you're seeing me do. But I need you to get this. I need you to know that you're going to do this. That's what Jesus told him. And greater shall you do. Watch this. When I go to my Father. Because something's going to be established when I go to my Father. That's going to enable you to do it on a grand scale. Beyond even what you've seen me do here in the mountains and the streets and the dusty roads of Jerusalem. Is this good preaching? Next thing you notice is this, and I'm coming to a close. The 40 days of post-resurrection were critical to the foundation of the church. They were critical to the foundation of the church. Without the resurrection, there is no church. He needed the people to fully believe and understand what had just happened. He needed the people of Jerusalem to understand the power of the resurrection, but he also needed them to have this experience with him but what lied ahead? See, the next thing in your notes is this. During the 40 days of proof, he focused, the Bible clearly said, on teaching about the kingdom. The teaching about the kingdom. Jesus no longer talked about his sufferings to come. During the three and a half years of ministry, many times he would talk about, you know, you need to understand the Son of Man is going to be persecuted, going to be crucified. You destroy this temple in three days, I'll build it back. He spent a lot of time preparing him for the, for, the, for the crucifixion. He spent a lot of time trying to let them know about the resurrection. Just as Jonah was in the well three days, so shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth three days. Come on, you hear me. He, he Line upon line upon line. But during those 40 days, he wasn't talking about suffering because he wasn't suffering anymore. He paid the price. So he, what was he doing? He was making sure that his disciples first and anyone that would hear him knew about the kingdom 40 days of fasting and prayer and fighting the devil started his ministry 40 days of teaching sharing and walking in victory with his disciples started his church y'all hear me the 40 days in the wilderness fighting the devil was the foundation for his ministry the 40 days showing himself by many infallible proofs was the foundation of his church i don't believe the church would have made it I really don't because of just how humans are. I don't believe the church would have made it if he'd have come back on the third day, walked in there and showed his disciples that he was alive and ascended to heaven. I don't think we would have the church today. I think those 40 days are critical. I think those 40 days are powerful. Can you imagine that it took almost to the end of the 40th day for the man that he looked at, Peter. He said, Peter, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. You remember that? Watch what he says. But I have prayed for you that in the hour 
of your conversion, you will stand up and give your testimony and encourage many people. What Peter didn't realize is that he was prophesying Acts chapter 2 to him. Peter didn't get it. Peter is hanging out with the resurrected Savior for almost 40 days. And this thing's about to wind down. And Jesus, Jesus understands. I've already laid it out. 40 days. 40 days I begin. 40 days I'm ending. The end of the 40th day, I'm going to heaven. i got to make sure this boy gets it. So they're sitting around the campfire eating fish. How cool is that? Jesus eating fish. The Bible clearly says he's eating fish with them. So that tells me, hallelujah, when we get to heaven, we're going to actually eat. Praise God. The, the marriage uh, table supper of the Lord is not symbolic. We're going to eat good up there. And it's all keto friendly. Up there, we're going to be Ito and not keto. Now watch this. So at the end of these 40 days, this is my last point, you've got to get this. John chapter 21, he said, I've got to make sure this boy gets it. And when they had eaten breakfast, they had fish for breakfast. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, say it with me, feed my lamb. Come on, I said, say it with me, feed my lamb. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, what? Tend my sheep, take care of them. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time. Now, why was he grieved? I believe because at the third time, it reminded him of the third time he denied Christ before the rooster crowed. God gave him an opportunity to show for every time you denied me, I'm giving you the time to redeem yourself. And Peter was grieved when he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. <sighs> I'm thinking about the time when Jesus preached, and he says something was tough. Jesus said, if you, don't, if you do not eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you're not worthy of my kingdom. That's, that sounds weird, man. And even then it sounded weird. The Bible says the masses could not handle that message and left. And he turned and he looked at his disciples and he said, you want to go too? Go ahead. And Peter said, where would we go? Oh, hallelujah. Where would we go, Master, to eat of the bread of life and to hear the words of life? Where would we go? That was one of them moments when Peter said, Lord, you know all things, and you know me. You knew what I needed. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, what? Feed my sheep. Now, do you understand that's a foundation stone of saying, Peter... I need you to look at me, son. I need you to get what I'm saying. In just a few days, you're going to watch me disappear. You don't get it now. But I'm not gone forever. But I need you to work while it's day. For the night is coming when no man can work. Another time he said, I need you to occupy until I return. There's work to be done. 
So here's how you show me that you love me. Take care of my sheep and feed my sheep. And on the day of Pentecost, remember what he said in Acts chapter 1? He says, he says, Go into Jerusalem till you shall receive the promise of the Father. I am going to my Father. They had to trigger something in them. They had to trigger them remembering. These things shall you do greater if I go to my Father. And he said, you'll receive the promise of my Father. And about a week later, on the 50th day from Passover, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, there came a sound of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there clear, appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire that set upon each of them. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. Come on, somebody. And in the midst of it all, the people in Jerusalem heard them all speaking in their own language and said, these people are drunk. But in the midst of all of it, Peter heard the Lord say, this is it. This is what I was talking about. Take care of my sheep right now. Make sure that this power is channeled in the right direction. You're a foundation stone. And Peter stood up and he said, these men are not drunk as you suppose. But this is that which the prophet Joel spoke of. Then in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Come on, somebody. And I'll restore to you the years that the locust and the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm have eaten. Come on, somebody. Somebody shout, I'm getting my stuff back because he came back. The last two things on your notes is this. Jesus is still proving his resurrection. He didn't stop on the 40th day. He proved it in that upper room that day. He's been proving it for 2,000 years. You know how I know he's still proving it? The last thing you notice is this. We are the living proof of his resurrection. Somebody give him praise right now. Get up on your feet all over this house and shout, We are proof he is alive. Nobody can do what's been done in you unless he's alive. The stinking scoundrel that you were, the liar, the cheat, the manipulator, the anger that was broken and is being broken, the things that God has forgiven you for. Man couldn't do that. Religion certainly can't do that. Nobody gets that from rubbing some fat Buddha statue. Huh? Other religions make you kill people and do other things to try to earn the favor of, of their God. Our God just simply said, come unto me all you that are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Come unto me, draw nigh unto me and I will draw nigh unto you. Come boldly. No veil is there. Nobody's stopping you. Just come. But when you get here, go. Don't hold this. Don't lock this down. Don't be selfish with this. Go. To whom much is given. To whom much is given, much is required. Have you been blessed by God? Then the Bible says you are blessed to be a blessing. Oh, Father, if you're here today, Yes, I need Jesus in my life. I need to feel the power of the resurrection. 
Now, I know the Bible tells us and prophesies of end times when Jesus comes back and the rapture takes place and the dead in Christ shall rise. And we think that when Jesus says, the same power that raised, the Word of God says, when the same power that raised Jesus' body from the dead shall also quicken our mortal bodies. We, we understand that means the glorified time when, we, when we're raptured. But I want to tell you something that goes beyond that. The power of the resurrection is not just active in your life when Jesus brings the dead back in the rapture. It's active in your life today. It is the resurrected power that brings you out of darkness and into light. Somebody say, Jesus does his best work in the dark.